Welcome, everybody, to the Rotowire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Jake Letarski. This here is John Littering with me, as always. If you're out there on Twitter, give John a follow at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me at Roto Jake. John, it's been forever, man. We haven't had a pay-per-view in a really long time, but today we're going to get together, break down, you know, the main card of the biggest fights here at UFC 267, Jan Blakovich, Glover Teixeira here. Uh, big fight week here, uh, but I guess we can re- we can backtrack a little bit and talk about that whole mess that was uh, Vittori and Costa first. Yeah, the whole thing was a disaster. Um, the thing that I found odd and I guess a little disturbing was how essentially Polo Costa – in the middle of the week last week, I don't know if it was Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever it was, you know, figured out he couldn't make weight. So he essentially said, I'm going to stop trying and then just didn't feel like the least bit bad about it or anything. He's just like, yeah, well, you know, I mean, my people and Vittorius people will come together on a contract and we'll do this, that, and the other thing. And that ended up happening. And, you know, he ended up losing, but like the point that I'm trying to make is that the fact he just, went along with the whole thing was like really weird. And I, he's a little bit of a different cat. He's a little bit out there, but now, you know, he lost, he looks bad because he missed weight, essentially missed weight twice. He couldn't make 185. And then what they bumped into like 195 and yeah, he couldn't make was, that. Yeah, it was 195. And then like, yeah, the night before, like b- before Wayne's like, okay, it's going to be light heavyweight. Now it's 205. Yeah. So he forfeited whatever it was, 20% of his purse or whatever to Vittori. And then he lost. Yeah. Should have been and a then, lot more. I mean, technically that's a 20 pound weight miss. I mean, come on. Oh yeah. Vittori probably could have got in for at least 30 if he tried. And then, uh, Dana White said, moving forward, he's going to have to fight at light heavyweight and you know, Mm-hmm. A lot of things Dana says doesn't yeah. don't stick, but don't we'll know. see. I thought if he lost, maybe they'd cut him because he pretty much deserves that. But you know, given that whole unprofessionalism, but maybe that's a little bit of an extreme take. He's still a draw. The guy still hits hard. I mean, in the late rounds, there I didn't think Costa would have anything left by rounds four or five, but in the late rounds, he still landed a little bit. You know, oh, he landed. Yeah. got it. Vittori's got a crazy chin here, but uh, yes, he does. Yeah, so we've got an interesting uh, prospect in the in the middleweight division. Of course, it looks like we're gonna have Adesanya Whitaker in January or February, early 2022 is when that's gonna be. But uh, before that, we've got back to back weekends of pay per views. Well. Technically, this card isn't a pay-per-view, but we're with you anyway. It's UFC 267, not UFC Fight Island, or you know, you could have called it something different because it is a non-traditional one. But this one will be uh, live and available for everyone on ESPN Plus at no extra charge. And I'm thinking, man, you know, some of the cards they've charged for have been uh, much worse than this. So fight fans are really getting a treat. Uh, the trick is, though is i believe it's like nine eastern or something like that it's a 15 fight card so it's huge you know i you know chances are we're only going to talk about the main fights today um because chances are a lot of these are going to uh are going to get dropped or adjusted as that usually happens but on the bright side fight island has actually been pretty good to us in terms of keeping fights intact as i furiously pound on wood for all the handicappers out there that are trying to make content this week um i mean fight island you you have to get there two weeks early and so a lot of positive tests would have already happened and you know and then they kind of isolate you there uh you know on the island and and we're there so uh yeah really early one unfortunately gonna have to compete with my wisconsin badgers who have again given me false hope uh, against iowa because they control their destiny now but you know i'm not not i'm not gonna kid myself and uh and think they're suddenly going back to the big 10 championship and if they do but anyway it's going to be a two three tv kind of saturday morning here Let's get into it, though, John. Light heavyweight championship. The real light heavyweight. You know, a real light heavyweight fight. We've got Jan Blakovich, Glover Teixeira. Blakovich, 9,000 on DraftKings. Teixeira, 7,200. Blakovich looking like a minus 300 favorite. Comeback on Teixeira, plus 235. Odds to finish. Vegas really likes this one to finish, minus 225. Uh, There's a lot going on here and a lot to take apart. And we'll talk about this as we go through, you know, all these fights. But, uh, there are a lot of really big lopsided favorites on the main card here, and you're gonna have to pick your take your stand somewhere along these lines just to be able to get lineups. You know, maybe you find some some plays and some leans on the undercard, but you're definitely gonna have to take your stand with an underdog or two. Um, is Glover Teixeira possibly a place that you'd make that stand with? Yeah, so that's this is gonna be an ongoing theme that we're gonna talk about. There are a lot of lopsided. DK salaries on the main card. Um, like you mentioned, this one is the first of a few we're going to talk about. Yamakovich and Glover Teixeira have both won five fights in a row. Um, Bukovic won the UFC uh, title about a year ago, September 2020, um, defeated Dominic Reyes. He defended it for the first time um, this past March, defeating Israel Adesanya in what has been Adesanya's only professional loss. 
Mm-hmm. Um, watching that fight, I wouldn't say Bakovich looked great. Um, you know, I think it was a case of him just being bigger and stronger than Adesanya, and I think that primarily was the reason he ended up winning that fight. All things considered, I think Adesanya is a more talented fighter. But look, you can only go in again there against who they put you up against, and Bukovic successfully defended his title. Um, I mean, Adesanya barely cuts to get to middleweight. You know, he yeah. probably walks around around one ninety, and he didn't even get up to two hundred five. It's a twenty pound. This is a this is the biggest gap, you know, between weight classes, really. You know, unless you heavyweight, but uh, but yeah. So he was cleared for the first. I mean, Adesanya's done a pretty good job defending takedowns over the course of uh, his career. Surprised me to say the least. I thought a good wrestler would eventually get to him, but it took not only. Not necessarily that Jan's this great wrestler, but just that he's so much more physically imposing and able to impose his will in the takedown game. Yeah, he essentially just out-muscled Adesanya is pretty much what it comes down to. And look, I'm the first one to admit that I've been really, really light on Jan Bukovic for almost his entire career. He's proven me wrong time and time again. Um, He could walk away tomorrow and his UFC run would have been infinitely more effective than I ever would have imagined in my wildest dreams. He's been good. There's no way around it. Um, this is an interesting fight because Glover Teixeira will be 42 years old this coming Thursday. So two days before the event takes place. Um, and he deserves this chance. You know, a lot of times we're talking about title fights these days where the UFC is low on options and thus somebody gets forced into a title fight. Glover has earned his chance. He's won five in a row. The competition's been fairly good. Thiago Santos, Anthony Smith... Nikita Krylov, Owan Kudalaba, and Carl Roberson. So um, he's done a good job. He's earned his. He's earned another opportunity. Um, this uh, Glover's second shot at UFC gold. He fought John Jones in April 2014 in Baltimore in a fight that I was actually at, and it was bad. I mean, you're talking Jones at probably the you're peak or Jones, near, yeah. right near the peak of his career, and you know it was a lopsided route. But Glover's worked his way back to the spot and. Quite frankly, he deserves it. Um, the age of Glover is definitely an issue. It would, even if Glover wins this fight and becomes champion, his advanced age is a major concern in terms of his staying power. You know, I certainly wouldn't project him to make multiple successful title defenses, even if he does win. I think um, he'd be an underdog in most light heavyweight. Uh, yeah, fights. probably. Yeah. I mean, look, he keeps himself in great shape. Um, He's seen everything there is to see inside the octagon. You know he's going to show up ready to fight. Um, From an offensive stylistic standpoint, um, both guys have a bunch of power. That's one of the things I have was light on regarding Blakovich. He has more power than I ever thought he did. More stopping power, I should say. Um, The offensive striking numbers are similar. Um, Blakovich is slightly better at um, defending himself. Glover, back a couple years ago, I had real concerns about his chin. I was worried that it was starting to go, which is obviously a traditional concern for anybody who gets up there at that age. He's kind of quelled those concerns of late. Um, you know, obviously, all it takes is one fight. If he gets knocked out by Kovic quickly at age 42, you're going to say that, you know, the durability concerns are back. But, you know, for at least for now, he seems to have put them in the rearview mirror. Yeah. Um, if you want to get past the strike and go to the wrestling, um, I think Glover's probably a better wrestler. I think he's probably pound for pound stronger than Milkovich is, although you wonder if the age differential plays into any part there. Essentially, anything Glover does inside the octagon is going to be scrutinized at some point because of his age. And... You wonder if he performs badly. Well, that's because he's getting up there in age. If he performs well, then the concern comes, well, can he continue performing well at his advanced age? So that's going to be a concern no matter what. Um, I think Glover, I'm picking Bukovic to win, but like you mentioned earlier, a lot of these fights on the main card are lopsided. I think Glover has definite tournament value from a DraftKings standpoint at $7,200. Um, I'm not... I'm not as confident in Blakovich as his salary would lead you to believe. I mean, part of that probably has something to do with the fact that I've consistently underrated him and he continues to prove me wrong. But I think at a minimum, I think you're probably going to get a better effort from Glover 
then his $7,200 price tag will lead you to believe. I don't think there's $1,800 in salary gap between the two. Yeah, so the thing with Glover is he. there are a lot of N- MMA handicappers out there that have won a ton of money with Glover over uh, you know the last couple of years of him fighting because he pretty much always comes in as an underdog or close to it, and he's been coming through over and over again. He's a big underdog against Tiago Santos, Misha Serkinov, he closed as a dog. Anthony Smith, I think he was even a dog too. He was barely the favorite, or they were pickums against Krylov, Kudilaba, Robertson. All of those were wins. I mean, there's his uh, you know, recent run uh, of win streaks. So, I mean, uh, he clearly has been able to produce as an underdog before. And the other thing is, you know, we talk about his chin, but in both the Santos and the Smith fights, I thought Glover was out on his feet. I thought he was done. He was he took huge, huge shots in both of those feet in both of those fights, but somehow managed to, you know, hang around, grab onto his opponent, shoot for the takedown. And I mean with uh with um uh, Santos, I believe. Yeah, Santos, he was rocked early in that fight, but he weathered the storm and then he turned around and he got the submission, and then he ended up uh well and then Smith was more of a was more, you know, after he recovered in that one, it was more of a take him down ground and pound type situation here. So uh could Glover, I mean, does he have the chin to outlast Jan? I mean, when you stack up Jan's power with someone like Tiago, you know, who who do you give the edge there to? It's probably pretty close. Um it's it's a really tough one for me. I mean, in the end, I'm picking Jan. I think Jan's just a little bit better at all uh, you know, stages of the game at this point. You know, maybe not so much submissions. The what I could see Glover taking a path to victory if it gets to be in later rounds and Jan starts to tire out and Glover finds a way to take his back. That's really the only outcome I could see. I think Jan's got a good enough chin that, you know, Glover's not gonna walk him down and knock him out. It has to be, you know, some kind of deep water. You know, I don't want to say greasy, but like, you know, a, a submission in deep water is kind of how I see Glover getting it done if he's going to. Um, you know, however, that being said, like I said, I'm picking Jan too. Um, I do. I'll talk about this a few times on the show, but I, we just started up a new survivor pool where you have to pick three of any fighters for any event. And uh, I'm picking Jan in this fight as one of my three selections uh, over some guys that we'll talk about later on the card. You know, when we start to talk, get into confidence ratings here, um, we all know MMA is a mass entry sport, right? You know, to be successful, you need to account for variance and uh, think you shouldn't be thinking of, is this fighter going to win or lose? Like you have to be thinking, am I going to be more confident in this fighter winning or losing than the rest of the field? And then adjust my exposure accordingly here. So um Obviously, if you're mass entering, you need to have a good chunk of share just because, like we said, there are a ton of fighters over 9,000 uh, in salary on this card. I mean, let me see here. What do we have? We got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, you know, seven fighters, 9,000 or above. You know, if you want to get some of these big high salary guys in your lineups, you have to take a stand somewhere. And uh, does Glover have a shot? Yeah, sure. But I just, you know, I think Jan in the streak he's on, you know, being a little bit younger helps. He's got the two inch reach advantage. He's looked, you know, insanely good lately. He's been a pretty high drafting scorer uh, lately as well. Uh, you know, getting stoppage bonuses against or performance of the night against Reyes and Corey Anderson, and we kind of seen what Corey Anderson has done since moving over to Bellator. You know, I, I'm not too crazy about the uh, of the about the uh, you know the Jockeray or the Rockhold wins. Those don't mean a ton to me, but uh, you know, you can see his evolution. How in February of 2019 he was uh, he was finished by Tiago Santos. And then uh, he comes back out and actually, no, they never did do that rematch. Never mind. I, I was mixing him up with the other guy. You know, everyone fights everyone in this division. Yes, but anyway, yeah. Yeah. The point I'm trying to make is that, you know, statistically across the board, striking offense, striking defense, his takedown defense, 65 percent is fine. You know, they fight at the same weight class. I'm going to say Jan is more. Uh, he's he's. He's more sound, I guess, physically, I want to say. So um, there are just too many. I just don't see, again, only seeing that one narrow path to victory for Glover. Glover isn't really enough for me to pick him outright. But could he do it? Absolutely. And at 7,200, there's a lot of lineup flexibility there. So there are definitely some Glover lineup combinations here that are going to work out. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is the end result of what happens when you have a card with 15 fights on it. You know, simply, you can't make a contest unless you spread the salaries out. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to have to figure it out one way or another. Yeah, I, I love the line in your article, you know, like, uh, I guess Khabib's the only person this doesn't apply to, but Father Time is essentially undefeated here. And I'll go ahead and pick, uh, you know, for Jan to knock out the four. The, just the streak Jan is on and the excellence lately. I can't, I don't know if it's a camp change or if something just clicked with the technique, but 
he's been able to find his spots and land big shots. He's so. looked great. There's no doubt about it. I'm going Jan all the way. I'm picking him in Survivor. Definitely picking him for the website. We did have, you know, I'll, I'll do Steph picks on Thursday. We did have one pick for Teixeira come in already. So, uh, you know, that'll be interesting. But um, I, I think that's all there is to say against this fight. I mean, Teixeira has made people tons of money as a dog, but I think that trend finally stops here because, you know, Jan's proven me wrong. He's the real deal. And, uh, you know, I, I think he's going to continue to get it done. And he'll probably get it done in a pretty devastating fashion here. Um, we got another one. Let's go to the co-main event. The other belt being given away here. You know, we've got Piotr Jan and Corey Sandhagen. Of course, originally supposed to be Piotr Jan and Aljamain Sterling. Sterling's got neck issues, so he dropped out. Sandhagen's coming off a loss, albeit a very controversial decision against TJ Dillashaw. But Sandhagen was ready for this fight, so they brought him in. Uh, but Jan is rightfully the favorite. Minus 235, come back on Sandhagen, plus 190. Jan is an $8,800 fighter on DraftKings, so a little bit cheaper than Blakovich. Sandhagen, 7,400. Odds to finish has been pretty much a pick em. I've got minus 110 here. I don't think that's changed a ton i guess it depends on your book uh you know we're talking about DraftKings mostly so i guess we'll go with them they're minus 110 and that's pretty much the consensus here which you know in, in vegas terms that's basically a pick them for finishing this fight here but uh there's a lot to dive into here john uh, I'll, I'll let you start and uh take it away with uh how you see this one going well piotrion would still be the ufc bantamweight champion um he fought aljamain sterling in march jan was cruising to a victory and i mean not even remotely close sterling had nothing um at which point late in the fourth round jan crushed sterling with an illegal knee right to the head um it was about as blatant a foul as you'll ever see um jan was a squad fight for it rightfully so it was bad and it cost him his title um like you mentioned two were supposed to have a rematch here uh, Aljamain has some neck issues he's going through. He couldn't go, so Corey Sandhagen gets the call. Um, I was wrong about the Sterling fight. I thought he would take care of Jan. I thought that Aljamain, who's bigger and constantly moving, would give Jan all sorts of issues. But what we've seen with Jan is not only are his hands ridiculously fast, but he's a volume puncher, and he can get away with it because... His chin is ridiculous. He is another guy, kind of like there's a little, uh, kind of like a little bit like Glover, obviously on a smaller scale, to, and he's you know much younger, but he can continue to push forward because he's confident he can absorb a strike from his opponent. Um, there's legitimate high end staying power here for Jan because he's only just 28 years old. Like this is a guy who is good enough and young enough that I could see him winning this fight and then fighting Sterling again eventually and beating him and then defending his belt five, six times. Like, he's that good, and he has youth on his side. Even in um, a division that is absolutely loaded, I do abs- think. It's, probably, it's definitely one of the deepest divisions in the sport, um, mm-hmm. especially the UFC. Yeah. Um, like you mentioned, Corey Sandhagen's coming off a loss. Um, we've talked about this many times, that putting a guy right in a title fight after a loss looks bad. Um, but... Um, the original fight here obviously fell apart, so the UFC want to you know create an interim title and do whatever it is they got to do. Um, TJ's uh, Sandhagen fought TJ Dillashaw, which was the return of Dillashaw um, this past July after his you know PED long PED suspension. Um, I thought Sandhagen won that fight. Um, I think if you go to MMA decisions, which charts all the majority of the media members who vote, I think most of them had Sandhagen winning that fight. Um, but again. The optics are that you have a guy who lost his last fight and is two and two in his last four fights fighting for a UFC title. You know, the UFC doesn't take these things into consideration when they book fights, but you know, it's just something to keep in mind. Um, the big thing here is the size differential between the two. Uh, Corey Sanhagen's four inches taller. Um, I think when they're going to get into the octagon, it's going to seem like even more than that. You know, you look at fights sometimes and you say, wow, this guy looks like he's literally twice that guy's size. I think that's kind of how you're going to feel when you see this fight. Um, and this is going to be a challenge for Piotr Jan because this is the first time he's facing an opponent in the UFC who's bigger than he is. Um, Jan's pretty big for the division, but my guess is even against the bigger opponent for the first time, I don't think he's going to change much. He's a volume guy, constantly pushing forward, constantly pressuring his opponent. I don't think facing an opponent who's larger than he is will make a difference. Um, 
You think he'll go to the takedown, you know, to try to make up for that some of that distance? He could, but uh, Sandhagen's sneaky on his back. We've seen that before. He's sneaky on the ground in general. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's a risk. I think Jan probably has more confidence in his chin and his ability to just win a kickboxing match against most anybody, mm-hmm. that that's probably where he's going to lean. Um, but, you know, like you mentioned, that's an option. Jan averages yeah. more than two takedowns per 15 minutes, which when you have a guy who lands – almost exactly six significant strikes per minute, 5.99, and can still take you down over t- more than two times yeah. every 15 minutes. It's a ridiculous combination. Yeah. yeah, I'm just saying, like, Dillashaw took Sandhagen down twice and ended up with more than eight minutes of control time, and clearly the judges valued that a ton because they ended up giving the fight to Dillashaw. So, um, I mean, it's definitely something to have in your plan that works, or that has yeah. worked, at least. And it, I mean, and it's especially pro- it's especially important in a five-round fight in which if you're worried that you lost a round or something and you see a fight, well, maybe a fight knock might go the distance and you just want to bank around late with the takedown, you know, it certainly becomes more impactful in a fight that's 25 minutes instead of 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the ultimate breakdown for me is kind of like the first fight we talked about. It's kind of like it's a Sharabakovich fight. I think Sanhagen is probably undervalued at 7,400. I think it's going to be a really long time, if ever, that you try and pick up Sanhagen and you ever see his price tag that low. But this is the end result of a card that has 15 fights and a bunch of lopsided fights on the main card from a salary standpoint. Um, I think he's competitive, just like I think Glover is going to be competitive in the main event. But again, I still don't think it's enough to win. I think this is a... I would I'm probably more than 50-50 that Jan is at the point where he probably just going to win this fight, beat Sterling again and then have multiple title defenses. I he'll think be, he's that good. Village. Oh, he's going to have to. Yeah, eventually, I'm sure, but I think I really do think there's uh you know, obviously even we both think even if Clover were to win, you know, you're not looking at a guy who's going to be a champion for God. I might. What do you, yeah. I don't even know if I'd set the over under at a year. Probably less yeah. than that. Well, to backtrack. Well, so so Jiri Prashaka is coming in to weigh in as an alternate, right? So if something were to happen to Glover or Jan, Jiri could step in and save that fight. You know, whoever wins, um, you know, maybe I could see Jan being a slight favorite over Jiri, but if Glover wins, he'll definitely be an underdog again. Yeah, well, he you absolutely, know, he a absolutely young up and coming kid. It's like a ton of bricks. If you've never watched a Jiri fight, do yourself a favor and look him up on Fight Pass or ESPN, but no, that guy's crazy. But anyway, no, I, I got to get back to the Sandhagen, Jan. I don't want to sidetrack too much here. Um, you know, I'm seeing a lot of similar analysis to you. Uh, Sandhagen, to his credit, you know, not granted it hasn't been wins in all of these fights, but he's fought a murderer's row. I mean, after, you know, after UFC 267, he'll have fought Jan. And before that, I mean, TJ Dillashaw, Marlon Marais, Frankie Edgar, Aljamain Sterling. That's all in a span of Aaron Bronstetter from uh, TSN tweeted this. That's all in a span of 511 days in Asuncion before that. So, you know, you got to hand it to Corey Sandhagen. He's not backing down from anybody. And that's how you have to play it in such a stacked division here. And the striking is interesting because Jan can get hit you know i saw a little bit of debate going around on mma twitter today where uh you know one of our old colleagues tweeted the uh round by round numbers from the sterling fight and in uh, round one sterling had the significant strike edge 27 to 14 in round two sterling 17 to 10 in round three it was Jan 30 to 29 and round four Jan 32 to 24 so it was closer there but that doesn't MMA, you know, someone made the great point that, you know, MMA doesn't, it's not necessarily always a stats and analytical driven because those numbers don't tell the whole story. Jan was definitely landing the bigger shots in that fight. There was no question who was winning those rounds and um, and who was well on his way to winning that fight. So, you know, in, in what was basically a kickboxing match, um, you know, uh, well, I, I don't, I shouldn't say that entirely because Jan got takedowns too, uh, you know, in this one, but uh so he was getting outlanded and so you can make a case you know if you really wanted to twist it that Sandhagen with that height and reach advantage and he'll want to keep things standing too you know I presume I mean Jan has a 90% takedown defense I don't think Sandhagen's going to try to uh you know to try to take him down and then uh you know one of the only uh, outside of that split decision to TJ Dillashaw his other loss was Sterling taking Sandhagen down taking his back and uh you know ending it in 90 seconds, which was, you know, a little bit surprising there, you know, I thought. But no, Sandhagen is a very good fighter, also very young, uh, pretty close to a complete martial artist. The takedown defense, 65%. 
And, you know, I mentioned that because, you know, Dillashaw had success in that area. Marais even took him down once. Rafael Asuncio took him down four times. And Sandhagen was taken down um, in all. He, he started off 5-0, and oh, but he was taken down at least once in every single one of those fights. So he can be taken down if that's something that uh, Jan wants to do. I think Jan is a decent enough grappler that, uh, you know, he'll be able to avoid the triangles and stuff that, that Corey will want to throw up from his back. And he'll want to go to that grounded pound early because he's a lot easier to hit when he's right in front of you so i mean in the end it's very similar to the main event i'm going to pick jan i think he you know despite the the height and and reach disadvantages here that are definitely substantial um i think he's got the chin i think he's going to find his way inside and i would almost give him a speed advantage i mean those long limbs take a little longer to connect sometimes so uh uh i'm going to go jan across the board here there are too many ways that he could win this fight i could see him subbing him I could see him ground and pound, or I could see him landing a crazy shot. Jan's going to definitely chop at those legs. I definitely watch for that to come. I could see that, uh, you know, for sure. You know, looking in the Sterling fight, you know, he didn't he didn't go to the legs too heavily in the Sterling fight. Four, three, six, and four significant strikes to the legs in those four rounds there. So it was definitely part part of his game plan. You know, a lot of those strikes were at a distance. I don't want to go too far into the numbers and overcomplicate that. This this is Jan for me and. Uh, I'm pretty confident in it, but I also did not pick him in the survivor pool because uh, because Sandhagen, he's, he's legit and he's going to be hanging around in this top tier of the division for many years to come, win or lose on Saturday. Yeah, I, I think the big thing is if there's for some reason, which I don't expect, but if for some reason Jan just has a problem with the longer frame of uh, of uh, excuse me uh, of Sandhagen, I don't think that's going to be the case. But there are fights we see where a guy who is the smaller of the two does have problems getting inside and just landing consistently. Now, you think Jan would be more aggressive than the average fighter because of the confidence he has in his chin. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, we it's something to keep an eye on. We have seen it before, but I don't expect it to happen. Yeah, yeah. Jan has long been one of my favorite prospects, and I, I'm just going to take him to win this and uh, to reign for quite a while. Um, let's move on, though. We've got uh, one of the biggest. Let's see. Is it the biggest favorite on the card in Islam Makachev? Uh, yes, certainly one biggest, of them. He's pretty close with another fight that we're going to talk about. But yes, Islam Makachev is the biggest favorite on the entire card. He is going to be taking on Dan Hooker on a pretty quick turnaround. Very quick. Very quick turnaround, uh, which, you know, crazy impressive, Dan Hooker. I'll just do that side note right away. He had like two days to get to uh, to get to Vegas for that uh, Hazrapak or Nazareth Hackfrass fight yep. and um, and still made the weight. Both of those guys had visa problems. They had to basically plea to their embassies to get in there. And then he came in and he made lightweight, you know, no problem on, on 48 hours, you know, and then uh, came out and, you know, looked dominant. He got the job done. So, you know, hats off to Dan Hooker here. And uh, this was supposed to be Islam Makachev and Rafael Dos Santos. Dos Santos had a drop bought Hooker, you know, you know, screw bo- going back to Australia. I guess he's just going to head straight fight Island and uh, take on a very, very tough task. A lot of people think Islam Makachev is a future champion and potentially the best that the lightweight division has to offer here. But let's look at the numbers. Makachev, 9,600, most expensive on the card. Hooker, 6,600. Definitely some salary relief there if you think he's got a puncher's chance. Uh, Makachev, minus 650. Comeback on Hooker, plus 450. Odds to finish, kind of another pick him here. You know, we've got minus 110, which again, you know, by Vegas Sanders. I've seen it's anywhere from minus 110 to plus 110. So I'm just going to go ahead and call that a pick him, depending on, uh, you know, it's it's, it's going to vary across which book you shop here. But, um, I mean... Obviously, Vegas odds makers think this is something Makachev will run away with. Uh, do you think that A, he'll run away with this fight, and B, can he live up to such a high price tag? Man, I, you know, first of all, Dan Hooker is an animal, regardless of what happens. Like, he deserves like an insane amount of credit. I don't care if he loses in 12 seconds, you know, for just doing this. Um, and the other thing is, like, Dan Hooker, I don't, I think we're in agreement is like considerably better than Rafael Dos Anjos at this stage of his career. So if you're looking at it that way, like this is also a much better fight. Um, look, this is not just for Dan Hooker, but anybody fighting Islam Makhachev, is, it's just a big, big, big ask. Um, you know, he's teammates with Herbino Magomedov, or used to be, I guess now, who we spoke about a little earlier. There are a lot of people who are really smart and know a lot about this sport who think Islam Makhachev's the best lightweight in the world today. Um, 
he's certainly without question one of the best wrestlers in the world today. Um, he's averaging 3.31 takedowns per 15 minutes. But what's crazy to me is that he connects on 65% of his attempts, which is a ridiculously high number. He gets a hold of you and just doesn't let go. And you, there's yes, no escaping. that's exactly what I was just going to say. It's kind of like Habib in that sense where his positioning doesn't have to be right. He doesn't have to be under your butt with his, you know, his arms wrapped around, you know, he doesn't need to be in that perfect position. He just has this rare, unique ability. And I mean, not just an ability, it's a talent to get you to the mat, even if his entry is subpar. Um, it's what Habib excelled at for years. And it's what Makachev is great at. You know, the fact they train together, you know, is no coincidence. Um, Islam Makhachev was knocked out by Adriano Martins in his second UFC fight. That was fluky. It felt fluky at the time. You know, many years later, it looks even more fluky now than it did then. He's won eight fights in a row since, has not been challenged in any of them. Um, Dan Hooker is the bigger man. He's two inches taller. He has a five-inch reach edge. He's going to have to use all of it because he's going to have to try and beat up Islam on the feet. Um I like Hooker's chances in a kickboxing match. If you told me that he was going to be able to keep this standing for 15 minutes, the odds of that are small. Um, now, look, Dan Hooker had a rest, had a problem with his takedown defense early in his UFC career. He was taken down at least twice in four of his first six fights with the company. That has not happened since. His takedown defense is now up to 80%, which is excellent. You know, we usually say anything above 70 is solid. Above 80 is excellent. Hooker is a popular fighter. I mean, how can you not love the guy for, you know, doing something like this? He's very well respected. And the fact he finds himself such a massive underdog is a direct correlation to how high people are on Makachev. I think, I don't want to say Dan Hooker has no chance because he's a talented guy. But the problem here, as far as I can see, is the second Dan Hooker finds himself on his back, I have no idea how he's going to get back to his feet. And Makachev knows where his bread is buttered. He's one of those guys, and we say this all the time too. If you're a wrestler and you fail, we talked about it recently with Murad Valashvili. If you fail on your first and second takedown attempts, a lot of guys get frustrated. They get away from it. Makachev, like Valashvili, even if you fail on one or two or three, four, five, and six are coming. And it's a huge thing in a fight like this where he has such a big advantage in one area. Um, it's just that Dan Hooker has no margin for error. If Makachev gets on the mat, I think he's probably essentially done for the round. In a three-round fight, that's you know a huge problem, obviously. And to give you an idea of how much time Islam Makachev spends controlling his opposition, he averages 2.24 significant strikes land in a minute, which is nothing. I mean, that's like almost as low as you'll see. He absorbs 0. 77 significant strikes a minute. He gets hit with less than one strike every minute, which is impossible, literally, if you're on the feet. But if he's controlling you from top position, this is the end result. His defense is fantastic because he never he's never in a kick position to be in a kickboxing match with his opponent. Look, I like Dan Hooker. I really respect him for doing this. You know, this is a fight against the killer what, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it was, after he just fought another good opponent. But it, it just seems like too big an ask for me. However, I do like, if you can get this fight, even at minus 110, I don't hate it. But if you can get this fight going the distance at plus money, I actually like that a lot. Because if Makachev does control this fight with his wrestling, I would not be the least bit shocked if Dan Hooker saw the final bell. Like, he might not get much offense from the bottom. He might be controlled for 12 out of 15 minutes. But I see no reason he can't see the final bell. Yeah, yeah. So so I'm with you here. I'm picking Makachev, too, because how could you not? Um, I mean, Hooker, you know, he's got the big height and reach advantages. A little bit lanky sometimes. I think Makachev's going to be able to find trips and, um, you know, and take care of his business. Grind out a boring decision. I don't really like using Makachev on DraftKings because I think Hooker's tough enough to and intelligent enough to not – 
put put himself in a situation where he's giving up his back necessarily. And I could see it going the distance. You're right. So I don't think you're going to see a ton of value. I mean, geez, to get 12x on Makachev, I guess with the control time bonuses now, you know, maybe you could sneak up there. But it's it's a tough ask at 9600 to hit value. I mean, this is prime Bones, prime Valentina, prime Nunes price tag here. So uh, and it's only a three round fight here. So you're gonna ha- you're gonna have a tough time there. Um, but I still think Makachev grinds out a boring decision like, you know, most people are expecting. However, I'm going to take a moment, hopefully not too long, to make my case for Hooker just for the heck of it. Play a little devil's advocate. I actually did not use Hooker despite him being the – or I did not use Makachev despite him being the biggest favorite on the card. I did not use him as one of my three survivor pool selections. And uh, I'm going to tell you why. Number one, uh, because I figure everyone's going to take Makachev. If Hooker can land a big hook, if Hooker can – throw a brutal knee on one of islam's entries and he gets that i'm gaining a ton of leverage on the field where everyone else is getting the strike and i'm not so you know i've got that going here but uh but two there are a couple other reasons where you could think that maybe hooker's a little bit underpriced uh one of them is resume to me i mean so Islam Makachev, you know, tons of respect over this big eight-fight winning streak, but his last five were Thiago Moises, Drew Dober. Drew Dober's good. You know, Davey Ramos, Armin Saryukin, and Cajun Johnson, Gleason Tebow. It's not necessarily murderer's row here. And, you know, he's gotten – this is this is one of his biggest tests in the uh, light in the lightweight division here. So uh, that's interesting to me. Meanwhile, Hooker before the hack press fight, he took back to back losses to Michael Chandler and Dustin Poirier, Paul Felder, Ali Quinta, James Vick, Edson Barbosa. Um, he's been fighting, you know, just studs at this weight class for you know the pretty much the entirety of his career, you know, from 2018 onwards. So I do like the resume for Hooker, you know, just a little bit better. Granted, he's got some losses in there, but he's quite possibly seen it all um two you got hookers 80 percent takedown defense now whenever you see a number like that you have to consider who it's been up against and you know all those guys i named off none of them have wrestling at their absolute forefront necessarily so you can say yeah 80 percent takedown defense is good but you know nobody has 80 percent takedown defense against islam makachev i mean historically his opponents have been 35 percent so it's it's a different it's a different level yeah, it's comparing apples and oranges there. So you throw that out a little bit. Um, but I don't know. I think there's at least a chance Hooker catches them. And if you're mass entering, you have to sprinkle a little bit of Hooker in your GPPs, I think, because that's really the only way you're going to get leverage on the field. I mean, granted, there are 15 fights, so there are more opportunities than not. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I just I think that there's a slight chance, a slight, slight chance that Hooker could get them. I wouldn't be totally shocked. Uh, you know, Hooker's been you know arguably a little bit more active of late you know Makachev had that two those two years off and now he's kind of just starting you know his run again you know with the Dober and Moises whereas you know uh, again Hooker's facing all these killers so yeah I I don't want to underrate Hooker here I think that there's a chance and he's crazy tough now I always go back whenever we talk about Hooker I go back to the Edson Barbosa fight that I attended in person he took body kick after body kick after body kick and it was just like it was the craziest sound in the stands and it would just make you cringe every single time now it's a different kind of pain that Makachev's going to put on you it's going to be smothering he's going to try to you know limit your breathing and and essentially make it so you can't breathe but uh Hooker's resiliency is uh is definitely, I mean, I'm not worried about Makachev getting, you know, a one punch knockout or anything like that. And that's how, you know, a couple of the, uh, you know, at least the Chandler fight went with, with Hooker, you know. So Hooker's a resilient guy. And we know the city kickboxing deal. Israel Adesanya is never going to be an offensive wrestler. But I, I, over and over again, I would pick against Adesanya because, oh, this guy's going to be able to get them to the ground. This person's going to be able to wrestle him. And the city kickboxing guys work that takedown defense pretty well. And, you know, I'm sure they have a game plan. Everyone has a game plan for Makachev like this, but uh, I just, I, I'm giving Hooker a chance here. I can't pick him outright, but I'm giving him a little bit of a chance. And I think he's got enough of a chance that I didn't worry about him in Survivor. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, Makachev, it, it's just spending what, 9,600 on a guy who are just 2.4 significant strikes landed per minute leaves you very, very, very little room for error. Mm-hmm. Like, I understand how good he is. And like the takedowns and the control time, you know, you're not you're not using him for, you know, to rack up big striking numbers. But we see a lot of wrestlers who make a killing from hammering their opponents from top position if they're a wrestler. 
And that's not really Makachev's game. Like, he'll control you, and you won't get up. But, like, there's not insane ground and pound coming that you see for some other guys. So, yeah, it's just, it, yeah, yeah it's a small room for error. More of a cash game play than a GPP yeah. play, because to get 12x on 9,600, which is kind of what you need for GPPs, uh, that, that's going to be tough for Makachev to get. And I don't necessarily see that happening with his style of fighting. You know, even you would have to get an early, early knockout or submission. And, you know, his submissions come later from wearing you down. And he doesn't really get you get those early knockouts here. So anyway, we've dwelled on this fight a really long time. Let's get through a couple of these other ones a little bit uh, a little bit quicker here. We've got a heavyweight matchup. Got to throw a heavyweight on there. Alexander Volkov, Marcin Tybura. Volkov, 8,900. Tybura, 7,300. Volkov is a minus 300 favorite. Come back on Tybura, plus 255. Odds to finish are only minus 130. So I would have thought a little bit higher in a heavyweight fight. But, you know, um, yeah, it is what it is. What are your thoughts on this one? This is probably the fight on the main card that does the least for me. Um it's just, it's kind of just there. Like some of the other ones have really good storylines and stuff. This one, Alexander Volkov, I've been a fan of for quite a while. He's six foot seven. He's an elite kickboxer and he moves better than you would think for a guy with his size. You know, he still got hammered by, you know, Cyril Ghan in June, who's going to fight Francis Ngannou for the title. So, you know, losing to Cyril, it is what it is. You know, he's might even be favored over Ngannou. We're close to it when those two fight. So, I'm going to give Volkov a pass for that one. Tybura also fought in June, knocked out Walt Harris. Tybura's won five fights in a row. Um, the last two were, you know, via knockout. It's not pretty a lot of times with Tybura. Um, he's getting up there in age. He'll be 36 in a couple weeks. He doesn't really have a background of defeating higher-end fighters. He's generally struggled against better competition. There are some concerns about his chin. Um Look, he's a solid heavyweight, you know, certainly better than the fringe roster guys he's been beaten up. But I would like to see him really succeed and perform well against, you know, a better opponent, which Volkov certainly qualifies as. Um, this is really, you know, from a stylistic standpoint, this is your typical striker, uh, you know, grappler battle. Volkov, like I mentioned, a high-level kickboxer, really tall, long guy, lots of kicks. Um, he's, you know, very good in the standup Tybura from a grappling standpoint, 1.67 takedowns per 15 minutes. Vocals takedown defense is 70, excuse me, 67%, which isn't great, but he's such a big, tall guy that I think he's more difficult to get to the mat than that 67% number would indicate. Um, Everything seems about right to me. I thought the salaries were a little lopsided when I first thought about it. The more I thought about it, you know, it seems right. Volkov's going to have such a big advantage on the feet. Yeah. I um, want to say one thing about the 67% takedown defense. Curtis Blades took him down 14 times. Right. So, so if you take that the whole thing, right. you know, take I'm that saying, out of the equation. Yeah, it happened. You know, we can't deny that. He took him down, got taken down 14 times in a five round fight. But, you know, that thing's probably right about up about around 80, 90 percent if you, you know, throw it. Right. And, you know, Tybura is a good, solid grappler and a decent wrestler, but he certainly doesn't have the physicality or the explosion of the or the athleticism that Blades does. So, you know, I pick Volkov in this fight. This is actually probably, eh, I guess we'll talk about that in a minute. But this is one of the fights in the main card I, I probably feel be best about. Um, you know, I, I like Volkov at 8,900. I think there's a lot of volume there. As long as he can stay upright, I don't really see how Tybura is going to slow his down all his kicks and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I'll take, um, certainly could see Tybura seeing the final bell. That wouldn't shock me in the least, but, you know, I'll take Volkov probably via decision. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll keep this brief. Volkov's younger, height and reach advantages, better striking volume, much better striking accuracy, gets hit less. The only place it doesn't necessarily go his way are uh are is in the grappling department but the strength of record here you know harris hardy rothwell grishan spivak are the yeah. last five for tybura and eh, you know who who's the best sergey spivak sergey spivak's probably the best one on there because yeah. harris is washed and hardy's greg hardy mm -hmm. tybura's you know, hasn't beaten many good guys and then volkov's got gane overeem harris you know same uh and hardy on there too and curtis blades so yeah you can argue that he's lost against the top three in the division 
but he's he's faced the top three in the division. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's Volkov all the way yep. here. Uh, let's keep it moving. This is another interesting one. A guy that started so hot and then kind of fell off due to a butt with COVID. Of course, I'm talking about Kamzak Kimaev taking on the leech, Li Jing Liang. Kimaev, the second highest price fighter on the card at 9,500. Second highest fight. Yep, second highest price fighter, 9,500. So the leech is 6,700. Comes out, of course, then second biggest favorite, minus 575. Lee plus 410. The odds to finish here are minus. 270. Everyone seems to think uh Kamzat's just gonna roll over him here, kind of in a similar way to uh Makachev, except the difference in my eyes is Kamzat actually throws and lands a ton more volume on the ground. He looks to ground and pound as opposed to submit you here. So that would tend to uh lead you to believe that maybe he could put up a big score here. Are you with are you with that? I guess. I mean, there's just there's a lot of unknown here. I mean, obviously. The first thing you got to talk about is, you know, Kamzat's health issues. He um, had a really tough battle with COVID. Um, he was scheduled to fight Leon Edwards on multiple occasions. Um, he had to withdraw a couple times because of the lingering effects of COVID. Um, this will be his first fight since September 19th of last year. So you're lo- talking, you know, a little over 13 months or so. Um, our exposure to Kamzat has been extremely small, obviously. He's won each of his first three UFC fights. I think he was overhyped a little because he won those three fights in 66 days. You know, every every you know time you turn around, he's blowing someone else out of the water. Mm-hmm. Um, those wins also came against lesser competition. You know, that certainly has to be mentioned. Um, and Lee is pretty good. You know, Lee is certainly better than anyone Hamayev's faced to date by a considerable, considerable margin. Um, you know, he's eight and two in his last 10 fights, knocked out Santiago Ponzinibbio in January in a fight where I'm fairly sure he was an underdog. Um, Lee has power. He's durable. He's been hit a bunch in his career. He's never been knocked out. I don't expect he might have to blow past Lee like he did some of his previous opponents. You know, I guess we talk about this a lot. You know, there's going to be a question whether Hamayev is fully healthy after everything he dealt with. If the guy's willing to step into the octagon, we don't know his financial situation. We don't know if he needs the money, whatever. You know, if the guy's stepping in the octagon, I think we kind of just have to go with the assumption that he is fully healthy. I saw through his agent. His plan is to fight, get vaccinated, and then come back to Vegas as soon as possible to get booked on. I could see that. He hasn't fought in a long time. So if he makes relatively quick work of Lee and doesn't get into any, you know, serious damage trouble, I can see him trying to get right back in there. He's, look, the three fights we've seen him, he looked like the best fighter on the planet. But it, it came against lesser competition. The best win in that span was Gerald Michard, who's actually I kind of like, and I think is pretty good. But, you know, Lee's certainly yeah. better than he is. Yeah, Michard um, comes around a lot. Yeah, I, you know, look, I don't hate getting minor exposure to Lee because, you know, then you're, you know, you have the, the health questions with Kimaev. Then you have the other question of whether it's just him beating up lesser competition. So there are a couple things you can, you know, put in Lee's favor where I don't think taking a stab or a hail Mary at him is the worst thing in the world. You know, it's I would say it's certainly more likely that Kimaev just runs him out of the building. Maybe not to the extent he did his other three opponents, but I think that's more likely. But look, again, this is a really, really big price for a guy that we don't have a ton of exposure to when it's coming off healthy. You know, I don't, I don't love it. Put it that way. You know, it, it seems like a lot of money for a guy with some concerns. I'm certainly not as confident as your typical 9,500 fighter would lead you to believe. You think it'd be Amanda Nunes, you know, beating up, you know, someone who has no chance, you know, yeah. Felicia Spencer or whatever. It's certainly not on that level. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say that uh, Kamzat, I'm going to, I'm going to pick him, of course. And I'm going to give it a high, much higher degree of confidence uh, than you are. And I'll try to say why quick. One, he can hit value. Now, granted, these opponents, uh, 126.7, 122, 124 DraftKings points in each. So he can hit value at 9,500. And the big thing for me is Leach has a uh, 59% takedown defense, which is probably below average, you know, when you put in the whole scope of things. And and uh, Kimaev has a four-inch reach and two-inch height advantage here. Kimaev could fight at middleweight. You know, to me, that would... 
Um, you know, eventually, if he makes that move later in his career, as he develops, could he become a two division champ? I don't want to crown him this early after three fights, but I, I love everything about Kimaev. He's, you know, the bigger Makachev, except once he takes you down, he's going to throw elbows. He's going to throw fists. And it's a matter of how many uh, you can eat from there. So it'll be, it'll be a quick takedown. He'll grab a hold of him and he's going to, he won't even have to use technique. He's going to muscle leech to the ground. And then it's going to be a matter of how long the referee lets leech last so it'll either be a gone in 60 second bonus or uh, another 50 strikes for Kamzat bonus um either way it's going to be big and uh I, I use Kamzat in my survivor pool the only you mentioned you know how can how do we actually know he's fully recovered from COVID the answer is we don't necessarily so that's the only little concern so that makes it that makes it me pretty unlikely to just go you know, bet a thousand dollars on him as a minus five fifty favorite. But for DraftKings purposes, I'm as confident in him as I am in anybody in the card. I think he is going to smash and uh and just take care of business here. So that's my take on that one. One more fight on the main card to hit, uh, before we can maybe talk about other upsets or anything else we want to hit. Um Magomed Ankaliev against Volkan Ozdemir. Ozdemir seventy one hundred on DraftKings on Ankalev. I don't even, I should have looked up how to pronounce that properly. 9,100. Uh, Ankalev uh, minus 310 favorite. Comeback on Ozdemir plus 245. Odds to finish are minus 170, man. I don't know if I'm just completely looking over, over Ozdemir here, but I can't think of a real single skill that Ozdemir has that can carry him to victory here. Um, and I will also say that getting KO'd by Jerry Prashaka changes a man if Ozdemir hadn't already been changed by the DC fight. But you have anything to add on to that? Is there any path to victory for Ozdemir? Not really. Actually, I'm kind of a um, – no, I really don't. I mean, look, Vulcan's always been a power puncher who – is willing to take a shot to land two of his own. And there are a lot of guys like that. And if that's how you fight, you better have a good chin. And he doesn't, you know? So look, this is, I was talking about, this is the fight on the main card that I have the most confidence in. You know, Magomed is really good. You know, he knocked out Owan Kutilapa twice last year in a span, you know, short span after some, uh, you know, antics in the first one. I've been out on Ostamir for a while. His path to victory is so small that anybody he goes up against is going to know he can't compete in anything other than a kickboxing match. And the other thing is, even if he gets the kickboxing match that he's seeking, he has a questionable chin. It's just, it's a bad combination. It's a really bad combination in a higher weight class where a lot of the guys hit hard. It's just, it's a bad combination. So I'm out on Volkan. Have been for a while. This is the easiest pick on the main card. Yeah, Volkan hasn't faced, you know, a wrestler like um, Gomed here since he fought and lost to DC, and that was a very lopsided fight. Um, I think uh, Magomed Ankalev, who, who averages 3.41 takedowns per 15 minutes, is going to be able to grab a hold of him and take him down. And even if he doesn't, you know, it probably isn't the best game plan, but I would pick Ankalev in a kickboxing match, too. I think. Uh, oh, he has legit power, too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, it's the not what you want. There. Yeah, it's not what you want to do with Ozdemir simply because that is playing to his strength, which is his knockout power. But yeah, no, I, yeah. I I think he can win everywhere. Yeah, no one caught me on that. It's three point four one strikes landed per minute, significant strikes. Only one point one eight uh, takedowns per fifteen minutes. But it's I think a lot of that is because he hasn't had to use it. His shots land with so much power. And you know, yeah. I try to avoid the trap of like, am I making this pick so confidently because I'm completely out on Ozdemir and I and and not in enough on on Ankalev? Um, I don't know. I've seen enough out of Ankalev. Nah, this one's pretty straightforward. Competition. So. I guess that brings us to the question here. You know, we've got all these favorites, and yeah, we both, I know we kind of chickened out and picked all the favorites here, but I truly believe that is what's going to happen here. And, you know, we at least highlighted some underdogs that have some DraftKings viability here. But my question is, uh, if you had to pick three fighters, you know, for a survivor pool or do a confidence ranking one, two, three out of the six fights we just talked about. So you're picking three for a survivor pool or just like your three that you're most confident are going to win. Uh, how do you rank these guys? Yeah, we were talking about this before we, before we went on the air. Uh, this is a good question. Um, oh, Jesus. Uh, I'd actually probably have Ankle first. I have no confidence in, in Volkan. So mm -hmm. that would be number one for me. Um, God, the rest is close. You know, I guess um, I'd probably go Makachev second because I'm a believer in the wrestling. 
And I mean, if Dan Hooker can somehow stay upright and beat Makachev on the feet, then, you know, God, God bless him and more power to him. So, you know, I guess that would probably be second for me. And, um, oh God, the other three, I, I'm going to chicken out. The other three are all, you were pretty much on Volkov, right? Yeah, he, he'd probably be the third, but you know, I'm kind of going with the lesser if, with that question. I'm going with the lesser competition. Um, as far as the opposition, like I think there's a gap, at least for Volkov and Tybura and um, for Ankalev and Ozdemir. I think Tybura and Ozdemir are probably the two weakest fighters on the main card. So if you look at it that way, I'd probably go with their opposition. Um, I'm just uh, from just a basic skills standpoint, I think he might have certainly in there. I'm just still a little worried about the health issues and the inactivity. Yep. Um, I'm not, you know, Sandhagen, if Corey Sandhagen won, I wouldn't be totally shocked. If Glover Teixeira won, I wouldn't be totally shocked. I'd be pretty surprised if Volkov lost. I'd be pretty, I'd be really shocked if Uncle have lost. And then, you know, the other ones are kind of a toss-up. Yeah, I'm going to be pretty spicy with mine. I'm going to say number one is Kamzat. Number, I have the most confident in Kamzat Kimaev going out and smashing Leech. Leech is certainly a step up, but not nearly big enough of a step up. I mean, they were going to have Kamzat fight Leon Edwards, if that gives you any uh, indication here of where they're at. So Kamzat, number one, and Kalaev, number two for me, because you know I think we're both just out on Ozdemir at that point. And number three, I know Glover's been spicy as an underdog, but I'm taking Jan Blakowicz, the Polish power to get it done here. I think Father Time catches up with Teixeira. I think Blakovich lands and rocks him and does not make the same mistake of uh, Tiago Santos and actually puts him away after he touches him. So those are my three. I just, I think Hooker's a little bit live. You know, I can't pick a guy, you know, I'm not going to be as bold as to pick a plus 450 dog straight up here, but he's a little bit live and, and uh, you know, just because Makachev's more of a decision fighter, um, I think, you know, every round starts standing. That Right? That's so cliche. Every round starts standing. And uh, and Hooker, I've just seen his resiliency. I, he's earned my respect in person, you know, that, that one time. And I just can't let that go. I, oh, he, oh, he, if he, I mean, he, he's an animal. I don't care if he loses in 10 seconds. I mean, doing what he did, I mean, and, uh, you know, they, I'm, I don't know, I'm sure a lot of our listeners heard the story. Last time he fought, God, he had, what did he have to do? Quarantine 30, 35 days, whatever it is, both ways, before, yeah. after, couldn't see his wife, couldn't see his kid, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. You don't and hear I mean, him complain much either. No, you never hear him complain. The only time he complains is when he couldn't get his visa to go fight. You never hear him complain. He's a good guy. Um, you know, and I think from uh, we talked about quick about Kamzat. I think it's going to go one of two ways. I think it's either going to be he's going to kind of struggle and it win probably, and just be like, God, what's all the fuss about? You know, he just beat up three lesser guys. He had a problem with the best guy he's faced to date, or kind of the camp you're in, where we're going to be looking at it when it's all said and done. Say, oh God, this guy's this is the, this guy's a freak. You know, this is the one of the best five best fighters in the roster today. He's gonna steamroll. Uh, yeah, he's gonna steamroll him. Get one more top contender fight, and then we're talking about a title shot for Kamzat. I'm pretty confident. I mean, if you're, you know, if you're one of the, you know, if you're the betting type, God, I mean, minus five seventy five is just such a huge price to pay. You know, yeah. you're looking at like laying eighteen hundred yeah. bucks or so to win three hundred. But it's just, it's so yeah. risky. You know, I'm not making a, you know, I'm not making a straight up bet on that money line, and I'm definitely not advising that. But he's definitely for me. He's a good, uh, you know, he's a good. Um, Good DraftKings play. Kamzat by TKO KO is plus 150 on the DraftKings Sportsbook. I don't hate that because he can get him like to the ground that. and just pound the I crap like out of him. Whole, I like that a whole, whole lot. Yeah. Actually. That's the bet that I think Nothing is, wrong uh, with that. is the play here. And we got two more betting columns coming to the site on uh, Rotowire this week uh, from Chris and Cole. So they'll have you covered too. Um, real quick, I mean, big, big card. Any other possible underdogs stand out for you? Anybody? Um, you know, you think might have a shot. You're going to have to pick some to be able to feel the lineup here. You know, so yeah. So there was the spot. You know, what do you got? Yeah, <laughs> there was one that when I was looking at it, kind of stood out to me, and that is I'm thinking about again fading Amanda Hebas. Oh, you know, dude. gosh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, yeah. This we didn't we did not talk about no, this ahead of time. So at least um, that's a good sign. You know, we can come together on one. Let's yeah, she's a she's eighty two hundred. 
I mean, Verna Jandaroba is 8,000. Amanda Hibas, her most recent fight came in January. She lost to Marina Rodriguez via second round knockout. Now, Marina Rodriguez is actually pretty good, you know, She's, better than yeah. better than I would have guessed her. Mm-hmm. You know, she would have been. But there's not a ton. Amanda Hibas has been hyped pretty good. There's not a ton in her background. For example, take a look at her four UFC wins. She submitted Emily Whitmire, who I'm pretty sure was released not all that long yeah, ago. I think she's gone. Um she took a unanimous decision from Mackenzie Dern. That's the best one. It is the best one. She defeated Ronda Marcos, who has been is probably one of the most up and down fighters in the history of the UFC. Mm-hmm. And then she took submitted Paige Van Zandt, and we know what Paige Van Zandt's doing now. So there seems to be some value on Virna. Now she's coming off a actually she was lost, dropped the unanimous decision to Mackenzie Dern, but Jandaroba is a pure mat specialist. She has 19 career MMA wins. 13 of the 19 have come via submission. It just seems like a halfway decent price. If you can get her at plus 150 and 8,000, and really, I mean, typically, if you have a plus 150 underdog, their DK salary, or plus 140 underdog, their DK salary is usually less than 8,000. But, you know, that's the consequence of having a 15th fight card. So she's one I, I thought about. The other one I thought about thought was a decent fight uh, or decent play was Ricardo Ramos, 7,900. He's also plus 150. You know, I, I didn't hate that one. Other than that, there were not a ton I was crazy about. Um Makwan Amir Kami was a little interesting because I know he's a talented guy. It's just I like Lerone Murphy too. So yeah, Lerone Murphy is really good. I mean, sixty nine hundred for Amir Kami is cheap. He's like an yeah. essentially a punt play to fit at the very end of your lineup, and he has a couple impressive wins. He's been pretty good, but just I wouldn't pick him wins. to win it. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. He, he has some wins, but you know, uh, fading Hebas at first look was the underdog play that i like the most yeah i mean looking at like the fight metrics all or the fight matrix all their uh metrics that they used to kind of uh you know determine strength of record you know it had Jandaroba, you know predicted as better i think in most of those and you're right i think he gets a little bit of steam from the hype train she's a big prospect you know just has a good future but uh Jandaroba is no slouch and she's been uh she's been strong lately you know she's been dominant in a couple of her wins so i agree there and yeah sure i mean the other one mr finland and then we're getting into some huge huge favorites here you know on uh, on the undercard too so uh originally DraftKings flipped gamzatov and olieschuk but then how uh, but then flip that back so i guess you know you maybe look at a, a big guy fight there if you need some value we post all the odds to finish in our rotowire dfs lineup optimizer you know i'm looking at that right now height we you know their money line their win percentage their odds to finish you know projections from chris olsen are on there um you know we've got all the info you need to make and group players together and mass enter lineups and help uh you know there's a what is it a 500k mma special with 100 grand to first this week so we've got all the tools covered for you here that's gonna about wrap things up here for us um i don't have too much other housekeeping to do here um thanks everyone for listening to the roadwire mma podcast oh yeah Friday, Fight IQ is coming back. I know it feels like it's been forever since the last pay-per-view, but uh, Joe and Sean are going to have a special guest on Friday that they're going to be revealing uh, later on in the week. So uh, stay tuned for that on the Rotowire YouTube channel, this same channel. Appreciate it if you smash the like button and subscribe. I guess I got to say that because we're on YouTube now. And uh, once again, John is at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You got hockey season on too, so you're a busy man. I am, and what we got to talk. We're going to be talking again next week, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah probably this time next week. I will have yeah. to see if Tuesday's the day or not. But uh, again, give me a follow at Roto Jake. We're going to be back. Yeah, next week UFC two sixty eight Usman versus Covington. Another great card. That one's from Madison Square Garden. You're going to try to sneak over for that one? Nah, man. I was there last night for the Ranger game. They got slaughtered. I, I got a little. I got, I'm going to wait a little while to go back you, to going. Give yourself a yeah, a little pause from that. Yeah, I mean the Rangers are four and two this year. Or whatever they've they got slaughtered both times I went. I, I'm staying away from the Garden for a while. Yeah, I don't follow hockey. My brother's a Blackhawks fan, so I guess it could be worse. Yeah, a lot going on in Blackhawk world these days. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, but we got you covered for everything at Rotowire, rotowire.com slash try, free 10-day trial. Four major sports going on simultaneously. That doesn't happen all that often. We got all your optimizers, all your fantasy season-long needs, all your NFL needs, all your MMA needs. We got you everything over here. No credit card with that trial. Hopefully you check us out. Thanks again for making it this far and, uh, and listening to the show, and we'll be back with you next week. Let's do it. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.